0: How do the people we want to reach think about their problems? And do I use the words they use to think about their problems when talking to them? If not done correctly, you will end up wasting a lot of time, a lot of money, trying to uh, convince people about something because you're just stuck to your own way of viewing the world.
1: Welcome to the podcast B2B SaaS CEOs with me, Joseph Follison, as your host. I'm the CEO and founder of VAM that helps sales teams close more deals and book more meetings through video messaging. The idea to this podcast was born because one of my personal goals is to be a world class B2B SaaS CEO, and therefore I need to learn from the best. And I want to take you with me on this journey.
0: Hi, my name is Thor Lefilogen. I'm the CEO and co founder of Stravido, and you're listening to the B2B SaaS CEOs.
1: Hi, and welcome, Thor. Hello, thank you for having me, Joseph.
0: How are you? Uh, Doing well, doing well. It's a beautiful summer day, so um,
1: you need to treasure these days. Yes, it's short in Sweden. And uh, first things first, can you please tell the listeners, what does your company do? So Stravito is an enterprise software as a service company. And what we do is we sell
0: knowledge management solutions. Uh, mainly for market research and insights use cases. And we have a very strict focus on the world's largest companies. So primarily, that means companies that could be on lists such as the Forbes Global 2000 list. Uh, we are on a mission. We're very mission-driven, and our mission is to simplify knowledge discovery. And we've, uh, we're in to our s- fifth, almost six years, and what we do is we help clients like McDonald's, Comcast, AT&T, and Carlsberg, to create one central hub for their market data and to democratize access to all their employees. And uh, many of our customers describe us as the Netflix or Spotify for knowledge management.
1: And if we shift the focus for a while from your company towards you, who is to rule off? That's a tricky one. Yeah, no, I
0: would say that I, am I discovered uh, after having done business school, I discovered that my true passion was really technology, which was actually had been a hobby of mine uh, throughout my childhood and high school. So back in um, uh, back in 2010, uh, I basically decided to double down on it. Uh, not 2000, down 2007. I decided to double down on it, and together with Uh, An old uh, friend who's currently the the founder of a company called GraphBase, we founded a social media company for the metaverse. Now, back in 2007, that was quite early. So one would argue that we were, you know, we obviously had spotted an interesting trend, but one would argue that that was quite early. But um, all is well that ends well. Uh, We were acquired and that led to me getting to San Francisco and throughout my startup journey, I've just realized how brutally hard it is. You know how difficult it is to do anything, and um, but it's also the part that I really love. It's the part of solving really tricky and hairy problems, and kind of solving the problems, building the teams that solves the problem. And uh, then the journey has left me to you know in San Francisco, I was at the biggest metaverse company back then, which was Second Life. Uh, and they were kind of in a pre-IPO situation and then moved back to Sweden to join the iZettel where I spent five amazing years and uh, before doing what I do now, which is uh, running Stravida with three of my co-founders.
1: Yeah, you have been doing a lot of cool and fun stuff, uh, one could argue, certainly. And um, I love stories. You have already started to tell the story about yourself. Uh, Now I want to hear the story of you did it partly in the pitch also, but why did you found Stravido? I think that's a great question. And I think it goes back to the story I was sharing, which is
0: when we did our first startup together, uh, I realized the importance of data. And I realized the importance of cohort analysis to try and understand how you actually drive your growth. And coming to the US, coming at a pre IPO company, I was able to learn how to do it at scale. And having learned how to do it at scale, I could then apply it to try and scale that from the ground up together with amazing people at iZettle, where I uh, started their data and analytics team, but also, you know, eventually as their VP growth and chief revenue officer grew their growth team. And throughout this journey, I discovered how hard it was not necessarily to find what you needed to do, but to get people to do it and to get people to consume the information they needed to consume. So when I met, came across my two co-founders, Anders and Andrea, so Sarah and I worked together at, at iZettle, it became obvious to me when they described, you know, the clients that they had been having. So their story is basically that they ran a market research firm for 15 years that was eventually acquired by, by GFK, it's currently part of Ipsos, Ipsos is the world's biggest market research companies is that they describe a situation in which enterprises like McDonald's or Carlsberg or Danone are spending billions, you know, on acquiring an ocean of market insights every year. And they need to do that because they need to stay customer focused. So if you talk about Amazon, Amazon say that they are the world's most customer obsessed company in the world. And it's arguably a very successful company. But at the same time, one of the, biggest pain points is to make that knowledge of the customer, that market research data, available across the organization. And this is something I had experienced firsthand and when they told me that this, you know, when they told me about those pain points and I knew of the reality of how it was in an organization of 500, go figure when you have 100,000 employees. So that was, that problem was the starting point for Stravito. And um and it was really, you know, uh, trying to help those organizations to uh, go from share drives, inboxes, USB sticks to a much more, I would say, modern way of sharing knowledge on a global level.
1: Super powerful, and uh, obviously, you are doing, you are growing fast now. You are putting more and more efforts in US. I read in Break It. Yes, a few days ago. And uh, let's move on to five quick ones. You need to be fast here, Thor. Uh, only like, like one word or one sentence. The first thing that comes to mind when I say a word. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, let's go. Insights. Strategic advantage. Sauce. <laughs> um, longevity. Sales. Hard entrepreneurship passion and the last one summer when you recharge your batteries (laughs) (laughs) thank you for this one and it's time for business development one of my favorite topics and first thing here in business development let's talk some kpis you can't have a sauce podcast without talking about kpis so first thing here which top kpis on your level, on a company level, are the most important for you, Thor? And please tell me why you have chosen them. Otherwise, I will dig deeper there.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, there, there are a couple that come to mind. I think the most obvious one in a software as a service company is this annual recurring revenue, ARR. I think it's the, uh, at, at the end of the day, it's still, it's a value kind of revenue is the main valuation driver, uh, together with, you know, revenue growth is the main re- valuation driver. So I think it's a KPI that's hard to ignore. Uh, and, and so I would start with that one. Uh, we have, if I move on to a second one, embraced, uh, a score that was popularized by superhuman that was eventually actually developed by a guy called Sean Ellis, uh, who basically looks, works like an inverted NPS score. So it looks at how disappointed would you be if you can no longer, longer use Stravito in our case. And in our case, we, we, you know, we, in our latest survey, we had 68%. Uh, it's considered 40% is considered like when you hit product market fit. Um, I, I, although I believe this data point is, is a bit dated, as a benchmark, I know Slack, which is kind of the most widely used business collaboration tool, scored 51% at some point in time. At least that's the one I've seen out there. The third metric I mentioned is Net Revenue Retention. Uh, uh, I, To my understanding, we used to use a Net Promoter Score and as a proxy for, you know, uh, an indicator of kind of client satisfaction, we now use Net Revenue Retention. And that's also extremely important with software as a service, because ultimately, it's about retention and renewing the subscription. Uh, and even more so in enterprise uh, SaaS, I would say, because Whereas if you would sell to SMBs, uh, there's a limited upsell potential. But when you sell to very large organizations, that's of course much bigger. Um, if I'd add a few others, I'd say employee satisfaction. Um, in this remote world, uh, you—I mean, we—we are—we have a hybrid setup. Uh, it's very important to know how people feel uh, because you don't come, you know, don't, don't see them at the office. There's no body language that you can uh, learn from. Uh, which means that you really need to keep your fingers on the proverbial pulse to understand how people are feeling, and and lastly, I would say some proxy for uh, efficiency and uh, and you know break even. In in our case, what we use is, is revenue per ft. So we have a revenue per ft target that basically serves as a proxy for when we get to a break even point.
1: Yeah, uh, thank you for sharing great KPIs. I don't no, I don't have any for normally. Sometimes I ask, do you like have any? like employee or most likely product uh, KPI, but you, you have the sales KPI, you have the uh, inverted MPS score, the product angle, uh, the people angle and the cash flow angle. Yes, I I think uh, we put period here regarding KPIs now because we move on to uh, -to go-to-market strategies. Uh, Thor, can you share your best practices regarding go-to-market strategies for a scale-up?
0: this is a this is a fascinating topic right and I think it's a topic where you 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 need to constantly update your knowledge because it's uh it's always always changing and you know the software is changing and 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 also the methods are changing and and, and the world around you is changing the way you know cookies are tracked etc so what I would say is I try to if I would try and highlight something that I think is more of an evergreen I would say that uh, Sub segment focus and sub segment specific campaigns. So a common error, in my opinion, is that companies t- to talk about customers on their web or internally uh, as they talk about them internally. Meaning that uh, as an example, you know, uh, a hairdresser or a baker will see himself or herself as a hairdresser or baker, will not see themselves as a small business owner. Whereas internally you might talk about it, oh, we should, you know, we need to provide this service for, you know, SMBs. But really, that's not how they see themselves. Therefore, it's when you define a compelling offer and talk to the pros- uh, prospect, it's important that you use words that resonate with them and with their perception of themselves and their jobs to be done uh, to get great results. Uh, so, in, in this very example, I of it was very specific, but it's I would say it's a general. It's a general thing that you can always ask yourself if you're doing uh, well enough.
1: Yeah, this is a good uh, good one. So what I'm here basically uh, for myself regarding your value proposition. Also, you're tapping into ICP now when you sub segments of focused. Yep. Know your segments, work on your value proposition and pitch with their words, with their yes. w- with words that resonate with them. Not not you just cooking up something out there. Talk with them and have words that they can resonate. Yes, Joseph. Yes, this is who I am. This is my problem. This is what I need help with.
0: Exactly. And I think, I mean, a lot of it is kind of adjacent to positioning. And I think positioning is like thinking about positioning is not, it's very important not to get stuck in the models that say basically, you know, we are a product for this type of user that does this. And in comparison with those companies, we have this advantage and that's the, I would say the traditional way of thinking about you know positioning, and there are you know set set models that you can replicate. I think the interesting part is to go beyond that and, and really force yourself to think. Well, how do how do the people we want to reach think about their problems, and do I use the words they use to think about their problems when talking to them, and uh, and that's you know that's a combination of research and just like I would say spending a bit more time on that I think is uh, because if done. If not done correctly, you will end up wasting a lot of time, a lot of money, uh, you know, just <laughs> trying to uh, convince people uh, about something
1: because you're just stuck to your own way of viewing the world. Here, here. And uh, if you look back then, what common mistakes do you see that you did yourself with your go-to-market strategy earlier?
0: Uh, honestly, that's like... <laughs> we could do a full podcast on this, right? So... Um, <laughs> I'd say you know tying it to what we just discussed, uh, and you know using uh, I'd say scaling before product market fit on a sub segment level. Uh, So I think it's very easy, you know, when you when we we use the superhuman score to track, like to do like have a metric on product market fit because otherwise it's a very fluffy term and there are many definitions. Uh, And what might happen is you get to a certain level of product market fit and you see the stuff takes off and you know you're happy. But what you might do as an error, and what I have done in the past, is you start scaling uh, on on sub-segments where you haven't gotten product market fit yet. So what I'm trying to convey here is that product market fit is something you do on a sub-segment level. And just because you did one sub-segment doesn't mean that you did it for the adjacent ones. And doing so can be very costly. So it's really important to validate before you scale. And... um, and you know, as an example, you know, your product might be very well received for customer, customers in hospitality, but not at all in retail or traction in pharma. And, and the case of, um, in the case of in the case of as an example, you know, we kicked off. We had a, a strong traction in the fast-moving consumer goods, and you know, uh, what's called you know uh, fast-moving consumer goods and segment well before we had traction in segments such as pharma or, or banking as an example so um, and of course not doing that right will lead to you throwing uh, so that's one error i've made another one is just throwing money at ads uh, and and really what you know ads is um, is almost like um, a casino gambling machine you know it's like you can spend as much money as you want and then but it's make sure it's not a media gamble tactic based on hope so you're just hoping that it's going to yield and uh and i have several of these under my belt and uh, you might rationalize them for one-off events such as a launch uh but uh one of the, one person i think is very inspirational is the the currency of snowflake and you know he re- repeatedly says you know hope is not a strategy so uh one important thing uh here is that uh the best case you might, what you can use advertising for uh, is you can look at kind of the numbers to see if there are early indications that the unit economics don't make sense. And uh, and really what happens is like when the unit economics uh, for these things start to make sense, then that's also a good indication for right choice of channel, but also could be an indicator of product market fit. Uh, so um, so those are the some of the things I, I would highlight as, you know, Things I have done wrong in the past.
1: Then here what you say with channels and uh, unit economics. It's a great move for me to move into the question regarding sales channels. What sales channels have worked the absolute best for Stravito?
0: You know, I mean, (laughs) I want to connect this to what I just said. So I think, you know, first of all, make sure that uh, you learn how your target buyer wants to buy now, this sounds very, you know, philosophical, uh, but as an example, how many people are involved in the buying process and what do they want to know uh, in order to inform their decision? And when you know those things, adapt your go-to-market strategy to those things. So in, case of, of, uh, in our case, in the case of Storito, it's a, it's a very traditional, I would say, enterprise B2B motion. Uh, that starts with lead generation uh, through outbound, and that's uh, effectively business development teams doing outbound cadences. It's demand generation and you know several activities that fall under that. Uh, so it, it will include stuff like webinars, uh, masterclasses. Uh, we do some traditional kind of event participation, so trade marketing, uh, and then content marketing. And content marketing is really how can you make sure that you give before you get Uh, So here, what I mean by that is like, what can you do to bring value to the people that you are interested in convincing so they get value from you on a continuous basis before they actually engage in a conversation with you to consider buying your software? So one of the things we do is we have a podcast and we don't talk about us. You know, it's really not about us. And in that podcast, we talk to leaders and that becomes inspirational material for them to bring into their jobs. And and we then support that with awareness and uh, yeah and that's kind of the lead generation part and then then we hand it over to I would say experienced account executives that do you know very traditional enterprise sales process and uh, as you know enterprise means long sales cycles so it's yes. uh, it's not for the faint of heart.
1: <laughs> no, thank you for all this great input. And now the last question before we move on from the business development segment is. Um, outreach to you what would you say is the best way to do outreach to you Thor
0: so I would say that um, we really see the power of LinkedIn Uh, so I think LinkedIn has uh, not only is a great tool to actually do actual outreach but it's also a great tool to inspire and I think it's it's also a great tool where you can uh, when people like the stuff you post you get social validation social proof so I, I think that um,
1: I think LinkedIn really has served us well. Okay, so so the best way, according to you, to reach out to yourself is through LinkedIn. Give value, get some sort of like like or something, and then start interact with you on LinkedIn and take it from there. Yes, you. social selling all the way. Then we like that. <laughs> yes, we do, and uh, it's time to move on. Mistakes worst mistakes now not just go-to-market mistakes what's the worst mistake you have ever made in business and that hopefully is behind you now so you don't are emotionally connected to it and you can actually look back and tell me what to avoid
0: yeah I think this is a really this is a really good question and um and I think that the most costly error I have done and, and and honestly it's it's an error that's really easy to, to do. So it's, it's, I, you know, we really need to be aware not to do it again is thinking that I am the customer. Uh, so confusing my own belief of what the customer wants with an actual need and an actual truth. Uh, and I think it's really, really important to, and then, you know, kind of going back to the first business that I, I started uh, when my co-founder is, is we spend a lot of development time and product time and development resources, and that could have really sunk the company investing in things that were really based off of our ideas of what the customer needed that was not validated and we did not do proper product discovery that's extremely costly
1: and it can kill your business I'm thinking for myself i am I doing this right now great reminder <laughs> and like oh shit. Now it's time for another topic, a topic of your choice. Mm. The only framework, then, then I will sip it, I will just tell you the framework. The only thing here you need to talk about for a few minutes something that you are very nerdy and passionate about. That's the only thing and the floor is yours.
0: No, I think, you know, in relation to the business and what's going on in the world, and uh, I think I I will talk about something that I think a lot of people hear a lot about, uh, but I think hopefully there will be elements in what I say that add some level of value or some level of nuance. And I think at this point, I'm very excited about what's happening in the world of technology. Uh, I think there's a lot of talk about, I would say, the negatives and the fear around artificial intelligence. Uh, But really what I see is... um, we are, I think we are at kind of like an iPhone uh, moment back past, but being in 2005. And the point of picking the year 2005 could be 2003 or 4 also is that all the ingredients for smartphones as we know them today were there. The technology was there, the software was there, you know, the processors was there, everything was there, yet the iPhone had not happened yet. And it took a few years, you know, in 2005 didn't happen, six didn't happen, seven happened, and then eventually in 2008, it was launched. And it was actually launched as, you know, if you remember the, the introductory speech of Steve Jobs, he presented it as an iPhone, an, an iPad, an iPod, sorry. And then eventually said, well, actually, it's, it's not an iPod, it's, it's an iPhone. And I think that something big is going to happen in the next three to 10 years, probably three to five years, in terms of how we interact with data and how we interact with knowledge. So obviously you know being a founder of a of a co-founder of a knowledge management solution I think that we are about probably to see a change uh, in the interface we have in regards to unstructured data because I really believe that the biggest challenge we have with generative AI is finding the interface through which we as human beings you know with all our strengths and limitations will have to actually interact with all that information the power is there it's the 2005 moment so that's something i'm really excited about then yeah thought i would share my thoughts on
1: yeah, i i love how you connect the dots back to that i i think yeah i think we're on the same time period i don't know exactly when like you say but it will be in either 2025 or 28 but before 2030 Uh, So yeah, this is a super interesting moment to to be alive. And thank you for sharing about the topic of your choice that I will name, if you don't disagree, how we interact with data and knowledge. Love it. Good. And we move on to an external segment, because I don't want it just be me here to shoot questions towards you and your uh, topic of choice. I want to let other people get their voice heard too and today we are quickly joined by mark hilander at suvi and this is his question
0: what is your thought on the challenge with today economic situation that many sauce companies have to convert to profitability and how do you do it today i think that's a brilliant question and you know typically I mean, again, I'm not being a macroeconomic specialist uh, by any means, uh, and uh, I I don't think that, you know, I can give the depth of an analyst view on this, but what I will say is I think that what typically happens is that things come in cycles, and I think that, you know, what we experienced back in 2021 was probably not a realistic level, and I think we, we we probably all know that, like internally, deep dive uh, deep down, we probably know that those whatever happened then in terms of expectations and growth, and also valuation was unrealistic and probably highly influenced by the interest rates at the time. So I I think that the pendulum will swing back, uh, but I think that we need to accept that uh, it might take some time. And in the case of Stravito, um, I think that what we very early on tried to do is to remain sober. So as an example, uh, we have, well when we raised our series a uh and in the time of you know uh in 2021 we already had a plan uh aiming for economic efficiency and uh, and a lot of people actually challenged us Uh, some vcs challenged us and there were people said why don't you invest more why don't you do that and we for some reason felt that well we need to build this uh we we need to build this as a as a we, we need to prioritize economic efficiency in the early days uh so we don't get get caught off guard if you will so um and from my perspective i think that if you're uh if you're considering to you know become an entrepreneur uh think about you know the classical i would say vitamin versus painkiller you know are you selling a vitamin are you selling a painkiller because like when the market turns. Uh, when the market turns, then people buy less vitamins, but they stick on to their painkillers. And our advantage as a company is our products and services—they stay in high demand because, you know, our customers what they sell is, in, in many cases, food and toilet paper, and that's those are products that people still need. Uh, and um, and finding and using information is a need that people have, even more so when the tough gets even tougher. So, think about how you. Uh, so, I would say, think about that in terms of a product perspective.
1: Mark, thank you for the question and Thor for the input. It's time to move into leadership. And first thing here, it's a straight shooting one. Are you a good leader?
0: This is hard to answer. It's, and it's particularly hard to answer yes, unless you're a narcissist. Uh, what I can say, however, is I'm extremely proud to have more than 70 colleagues with more than 25 nationalities on the team and uh, that they want to be part of this journey with me and, uh, you know, the rest of the founding team. And being the CEO and uh, one of the founders of a company whose product and services stays in high demand in even in a struggling economy, that tells me that we're doing some things right.
1: And if you're telling me that you're doing some things right, and I know you're doing several things right, of course. Uh, I want to uh, take this one little deeper now and look into uh, your powers, your superpowers. What would you say are like the main two to three Thor things that really like in leadership?
0: <laughs> if only one, I would say grit. Building a startup is a marathon, not a sprint. And for most of us, it's even worse, or you know, even worse uh, than a marathon, and more akin to an Ironman-style triathlon. So, if I would say two, uh, I would add curiosity. Uh, I want to know more and beyond, go beyond the surface-level answer. So, I always want to understand how we can make things better.
1: Both those things are uh, super essential, according to me. And now, I want to know: Have you always like? had grit or is that something you have need to practice on like a muscle
0: uh
1: i know <laughs> i've
0: always i think i've always had grit because i had to you know i think some people are just born extremely smart and just know what to do and uh, i've always had to fight uh, i always always had to uh you know i've uh, i've always had to fight for my grades i've always had to fight uh, for my successes so um uh, so I, I would say that grit was something that I mean, almost as an advantage, because I've always had to fight. I've kind of built up that as, as a muscle.
1: And regarding uh, curiosity, then uh, was you like a child that always asked so many questions, or is that has that developed regarding curiosity?
0: I think that I mean that's one of the things. Uh, uh, my father is a French national, so having gone through the French educational system, I think it's I've always. One of the wonders of, of France, I would say, is that they have a culture of knowledge, and they they really highlight it's it's a, it's a culture in which you appreciate knowing stuff. And I think I've culturally been biased to want to know and want to understand. Uh, so I think that's kind of the I would say the foundation. Uh, on top of that, I'm a, I love to get to know people, and I love to hear their journeys, their stories, very much like you, Joseph. And um, and in that sense. Um, I, I think I learned so much, both about the world, but also about myself. Uh, so um, so it's, uh, it's a gift that keeps on giving.
1: And if you're then going to talk about uh, bad things as a leader, because everything isn't happy-clappy, there's tough times. W- what are the worst things, according to you, uh, about being a leader? And how do you stay on top of it? I would start by saying it's really hard because it's a
0: 24-hour job. Uh, and uh and i think a lot of people that haven't you know had leadership positions think about it from the lens of the, the traditional hierarchical pyramid with you know people at the top being in positions of control uh honestly in in my view i think more of it as an inverted pyramid which is that if you're the leader you're here to serve the rest of the organization but it also means that the pro- proverbial shit falls down on you uh so um so you really need to find ways to keep up and never give up and always help people to try and bring out their a-game because it's the people around you that are going to make magic it's not you and how do you find
1: ways to manage to do that
0: i find a lot of inspiration from my colleagues uh and uh i think for me it's uh, i mean it's I think the, the one thing you can impact is like who you bring on and the culture you build. So that's kind of the input variables. And then working with great people, you, you also have great sources of inspiration. And uh, so, so I would say I find great inspiration in my colleagues.
1: Okay. So it comes down to hiring the right people with the right values and the right fit for the company. And they will give you inspiration then, and then you, you refill with inspiration and energy from some other channels too, to handle <laughs> being a leader. Uh, that was what I heard with a qu- super dumb and quick summary. Of course, I heard more stuff, but amazing. And Thor, if, you have, if I now force you to summarize, you need to summarize the word leadership and your point of view of that with one word, what would that be?
0: I mean, this is beyond brutally hard, (laughs) Joseph. it's it's brutally hard. But if if only one word, I would say integrity, because ultimately startups and, and, and companies are about leading and motivating people. And it's really hard to ask people to follow you if you do not stay
1: true to yourself, your values and your beliefs. Uh, This was a powerful explanation. Leadership is all about integrity. And now we are entering the roundup. So we only have uh, three questions left. Which other two B2B saw CEOs do you think are interesting and would like to listen to in this podcast if I would interview them?
0: I know you're a very ambitious guy, Joseph. So if you were
1: aiming really, really high globally, I would say... Yes, I do. My first goal is being the largest SaaS podcast in Europe. So Europe focused and after that, the world.
0: Perfect. Then I would say Frank Slootman. He's Dutch. He's the currency of Snowflake. He has an amazing story. He's written several books. And if you haven't already, I would encourage you to read those books. And if you want to get hold of him, you know, potentially, you know, to... uh, uh, I, I would, you know, see if he publishes something because he then he, he does a lot of podcasts then. So I think that that's an amazing guy. Otherwise, I would say Jali uh, Rizai, uh, And she is the co-founder and CEO of Mutiny. Mutiny is a SaaS product that helps B2B companies personalize their websites uh, for each visitor in order to close more sales.
1: Ah, uh, Cool stuff. Yes. Now we're going. And the uh, second last question then. Now you're talking to yourself. If you would give yourself, your younger self, top one to three things to think of that you now know that you didn't know for like five, ten years ago, what would you tell younger Thor?
0: I think that that's that's a great question, and I I didn't realize I I I probably had an, a sense of this, but I didn't understand how true it was before. But I would start with people, uh, business is a people uh business is a people thing it's ultimately about people and with the right people you will solve money and strategy but i don't think the inverse is true uh the second one uh, i would say is culture and as i shared with my team on our latest offsites um the reality is all of our competitors probably all of your competitors uh have great people on their teams. You know, they will have smart people, they will have PhDs, they will have great engineers, they will have great CSM, they will have great salespeople and so on. So the only way we as a company can differentiate is through how we work together and that's culture and how well we understand and focus on solving our customers' problems. And those things need to be embedded in the culture. Lastly uh, I would say focus and, 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 and I, that's something you can never do too much of. Uh, so as an entrepreneur, focus is your best friend and uh, as a first landmark, aim at being a big fish in a small pond. Then you can go look for a new pond to conquer.
1: And we have arrived to the end. Where will Stravito be in five years?
0: Our North Star goal is internally is to serve 50 percent of the Fortune 500. Uh, so uh, that's our ambition. that's what we talk about internally. So I believe we will have made significant strides toward that 50 percent. Don't know exactly what we're land, but we'll be much closer.:
1: And I wish you the best of luck with that Thor and Stravito. And now I'm quickly shifting the focus to USB listening. Two quick ones. Number one, tell a friend or a colleague to listen to four in B2B saw sales because this has been a great episode. And number two, press the subscription button. We have great guests coming here every week. And four, a huge, huge thank you for putting aside around 30 minutes together with me to help the listeners and me to keep on learning.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Joseph.